This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got books. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls girls who read. read. Good afternoon, sad girls. We're on a spiral. We're starting off spiraled as fuck. So Allegra and I were just talking. Do you want to tell the sad girls what we were talking about? Uh, We were talking about how like the pursuit of weight loss Mm -hmm. is so triggering for people who have eating disorders and how like eating disorder that like voice might never go away. It kind of reminds me that I feel like we have all these voices. We have our OCD voice. We have our eating disorder voice. I have a lot of voices in my head. Depressive voice. We have our anxiety voice. But all of them can be managed. But I wouldn't say any of them go away completely. Would you? Yeah, I've not ever experienced the absence of my eating disorder voice. It's gone down immensely, but it's never fully gone away. And that might be in part because I've never done eating disorder specific therapy, which is like crazy because I've had anorexia twice. So tell me about why you haven't sought out. It was wild. Basically, I had anorexia from 18 to 19, but then at like 19 and a half, the onset of my OCD happened. And because it was so jarring, I started eating again. It was like my brain fully switched from eating disorder to that. And like food did not bother me anymore. And they're kind of tied in some ways. I dead ass just started eating again and then gained weight, which is just like, okay. And I was like, totally fine with it. And then I relapsed again at like 22, 23. Like Lori was concerned. I remember coming into her office one day and she was like, you really like should not lose any more weight. Like it was like, I was darkly thin and I never got treatment for that either. I just like went about my merry way and I think tried to like incorporate more foods and like do what I know, but I've never had like, yeah, I've never gone through that kind of treatment. And I think that that's probably also why that voice is like still there. Yeah. The restricting piece is so triggering. Like when anyone in your, in your life says, Oh, you shouldn't eat that. I shouldn't eat that. Like I, oh, we don't eat carbs. We don't eat that. That is a spike. I will be thinking about that food group all day being like, when's the last time I ate that? I was going to eat that later. Should I not eat that? I definitely shouldn't eat that. How many calories is that? Like I'll go on like a spiral about it. No, I for sure. And it's I, like my trainer today, I'll like tell people I like went to God bless him. I love him by the way. Like this is not he is, he doesn't fully get it, but, and he is like a trainer, right? So it's like, I get why, but he needs to be up to date in literature. There were everything yeah. scones at Joe's coffee, which by the way, you have to try. I need to like, I love an everything scone. They're my favorite. So bomb. So I say, we like switch off paying for breakfast each week. So I was like, oh, Jerry, I want one of those too. Cause we each had like overnight oats and a scone. And he goes, you can't eat that. <laughs> See, like, uh, no like but no like it's not like 
he no you can't say that to no is he is he trained in this like does he no and you can't know anyone that's also my thing is like even if someone's not in eating disorder recovery you just don't ever look at someone after they've like ordered something and been like you can't eat that and don't comment on people's food it's none of your business none of your business it's like it's so it's like triggering and I also think it's triggering for folks in larger bodies you know like like I know that there are people in large bodies who face like a lot more stigma than I do in my body. So I want to like make that very clear as well. But like when people and I just saw Kenzie Brenna, I love her posted about this today. When people in larger bodies eat, it's like people literally just will shame you for fucking eating. Mm. It's like, whereas a thin person eats a hamburger and it's like, oh, Paris Hilton, that's hot. And then you see a fat person eat a hamburger and it's like, you are promoting obesity. You're disgusting. Mm. So it's already have that in your mind when you're not someone who lives in a small body and I don't. And then someone says you can't eat that. And you're just like, Oh, and also you've worked like so hard to keep yourself healthy and like do healthy things and feel beautiful. So I just feel like men should never comment on women's bodies or men's bodies. I just think it's so inappropriate. Allegra, like don't fucking say no, it's that. inappropriate. Like you can't eat that. Like, no, I can eat whatever the fuck I want. You're not my father. You're not my like nutritional advisor. And also and- had you just worked out, <laughs> which is crazy. See, yeah. That makes me even more mad. He should be like, oh, you just kicked your ass. You deserve this, which isn't appropriate to say either. Right. But it would have been better than what better he said. Than you can't eat that. I was like, Okay. Fucking morning gods, and then all the other things happen, and I'm just like, God, we live in a world that is just like so misattuned, so fucking misattuned. I want to ask you a question about your eating, just because I'm interested, and I have gone through it all. When I was in like the peak of mine, I had to go to like a group therapy and like separate therapy, and we did this like ceremony where we smashed our scales, and I haven't been on a scale in. 15 years like it was so liberating but that was where I was tied a lot of the obsession was about a number do you have like an obsession that comes up like how does it show up for you I feel like I'm PMSing so I'm probably gonna cry and I really don't want to cry I'm also like literally in the Oregon trail I'm sweating (laughs) it's so hot no it's like 80 in New York and we don't have AC No, we don't have AC. And I'm literally like, I went down last night. I know this is an aside, but I literally texted my friend and I was like, I am marching down to the front desk and demanding that they Uber eats me a fan right now. They need to like take money off your rent. Like that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say for the AC being broken for a whole week, I'm not paying full price in rent. You also, didn't they just raise it? Yeah, $600. So I'm like, bro, eh, eh." but call it even. What triggers me, I think, like, it's not even a number because it used to be a number, like, which I, like, avoid speaking about now because I think it can be, like, stigmatizing for people who have reached that number and I have reached that number. But it used to kind of be a number, but it's more so just, like, weight gain in general, which, like, I there's nothing wrong with weight gain. And I know that I have gained weight, but it's all of the, like, trauma components of it where, like, my parents were so awful to me about my body that if I, like wasn't thin I was not as lovable so it's like when I gain weight that's what I that's like the lens that I see it through is like the more weight you gain the less lovable you are and then you already have society telling you that so for me it's just like 
weight gain and I have gained weight in my recovery. I mean, I've gained over a hundred pounds in my recovery, but it's normal to fluctuate. Like that's bodies change every day. And I feel like that's something that's not talked about. We're expected to stay this one weight when we're fucking adolescents to when we're grownups, like women are trying to look like they're teenagers. And I, it's, it's kind of scary. Like I'm fucking guilty of it. Like, I feel like society is telling you, you need to not have curves. You need to stay this weight. Our bodies like are supposed to change. Like it's beautiful. Right. And I think what's so hard too, is like recovering in a smaller body is just easier than recovering in a larger body. And I think that like, we don't talk enough about what it's like to recover into a body that society then says like you lose weight. Like I put up that post when I was in Austria about my eating disorder. And then the dude comments, you should be really concerned for your health. And it's like, that doesn't happen to thin people who are in eating disorder recovery. It's doesn't happen. Yeah. Because the, you don't tie, people don't do the research and they don't tie them together. Right. So there's like all this like anti-fat bias that you have to deal with. Like Shira Rose is like incredible talking about this. I don't know if you follow her, but Mm -hmm. she fought like she almost died of her eating disorder and she fought like tooth and fucking nail for years of her life. And she has gained weight and recovery. And every single day is reminded by people and told by people that she should be losing weight. And it's like you almost died of anorexia and then you gain weight and you live in a body and like are told every single day that you should lose weight when like that was the thing that almost killed you. That makes me like, because in any other disease, because it's a disease, like absolutely in any other disease, you wouldn't be like, Oh, you have cancer. Like, um, yeah. Like you don't look great. Like you're not like you recovered and you were skinnier when you had cancer. Like you right. don't say that shit. Like, right. And then it's like coupled with living in a world that like is so obsessed with thinness. Obsessed. So it's like you do this really amazing thing of like recovering. And like, I'm so much like, there are so many more foods that I eat now. And I don't feel that anxiety around food that I did like six years ago. But then it's like, you live in a world that is demanding you to lose weight at every fucking turn. And it's, so it's like, you're supposed to maintain recovery while everyone or a lot of people want you to lose weight. I think what it was most helpful for me and what could be so helpful for you is like a group of people like in recovery, talking to them once a week and like reaffirming, like you are doing the right thing. Like you are okay. Like you're enough. Like also like, I'd say it's even harder to recover online (laughs) because you're putting your body out there for everyone to fucking ridicule every day. And that's a lot. And I also think in like, this might be inappropriate. And like, I also think it's harder for me to, it's, it's a little bit harder for me to relate to people who have recovered into smaller bodies. And I feel like a lot of the times, like we have a real problem in the eating disorder community of only having thin white women as eating disorder therapists. And I think it can Mm. be really triggering for people who recover into larger bodies and don't see their bodies represented in other people. And so like, I also fear that like, I, you know, would be around a group of people Mm -hmm. that I just feel like I can't relate to because there's that, like, while we both recovered, I inherently deal with more like bias and stigma because I didn't recover into a thin body. 
Are there groups specifically for people who are covered into larger bodies? That's a really good question. And that actually makes me want to like, you should start, start one for people like that, because you should, like, you know, I think it's what's hard for me is I feel like a lot of the dietitians and I've done a great job to like diversify my feed, which I'm sure you have, but a lot of them, the ones that I follow, it's like, I have food freedom and I, this, and it's like their societies like ideal beauty standards. So it's like, I love that you have food freedom. I'm so glad that you recovered, but some people who have food freedom do not recover into small bodies and do not experience the same Mm. thing. I see that a lot, actually. Like it's fucking annoying to me too. And I like, it's like, I'm not saying that their experience isn't valid. It absolutely is, but I actually really appreciate folks. Like I follow this, this woman who I love in eating disorder recovery And she said something along the lines of, I'm not sharing my story this year because we don't need to see another like person in a very, very, very thin body Mm -hmm. talking about their eating disorder. Like we need to amplify voices who are like marginalized in this way. We, you're right. We don't hear about recovery in larger bodies and it's like really illuminating to educate ourselves. Anyway, should we talk about the book? I die for Melissa Broder. And by the way, you know, she's an eating disorder recovery. I'm she's mother. No, like I am so fucking into her. Dude, I think I'm dead inside because I don't laugh out loud when I read every book she writes. I literally sit there and I chuckle. Cackling. Chuckle. I'm like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> yes. No, I, I wanted to read. I feel like what we should do is like each read a couple of passages so the readers or the listeners like understand how fucking funny she is. There are yeah. some that like she just it's almost like this dry humor. It's so fucking funny. She just like she's so straightforward. She says whatever it is that she's thinking. Yes. And it's so fucking refreshing. She says what everyone's thinking, but we're all scared to say. I think that is the episode description. That is like the best description of Melissa Broder. Like she is mother. Like she, you think you have the dirtiest, darkest, weirdest thought, and you would never say it. Melissa has that too, and she fucking wrote about it. Like she's she is mother. Yeah, I did. So sad today. So she talked about the vomit fetish, and by the way, I think this book is part memoir. It is. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I just want to make sure, and it, but it's also part fiction. It is. Yes. I didn't know that. I thought this was all true. Novel. That's also really important. Novel points to fiction. Um, But I think from what I remember in our writing class, she described it as a a hybrid of fiction and memoir. Yeah, because it feels it feels so real. It's it's so fucking real. And then like I don't actually do you really think she saw the cactus no no but everything is like a metaphor and it's so deep and juicy and crazy oh I'm like am I missing the metaphors okay Aaron kick us off what are the metaphors well I would I don't know exactly what the metaphor is but I feel like her it comes up again and her crawling inside this cactus and experiencing all these things is like a metaphor for her dealing with the grief maybe so I don't want to spoil anything. So has she gone in the cactus twice yet for you? Um, I'm on page 140, so I'm not sure. I think she's seen it twice. She saw her little husband. Her husband is a little yes. kid. And then that- she's 
That was the second time. This isn't spoiling it, but she sees her dad as a little kid as well. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was, was that was a lot. Like that was like she kept she kept saying, like, I'm here alone. I'm here alone. And all I could think was when we are grieving, we are so alone. Like no one can understand exactly what we're going through. I feel like the whole hike and that whole journey was a metaphor for grieving, right? That it is. Yes, you're right. I remember her saying it from the writing class, something about like the five stages of grief mm-hmm. in the desert and how that like inspired her to uh-huh. write the book. And these people at the Best Western, I'm dead. Okay. so She's like, I don't know who I, I want to fuck more. <laughs> I feel like, okay, there are a couple of quotes that we have to fucking read. The first is, so she's talking about reading all of these books about grief. Her father is dying. And she says, the next book I read was a novel described as the tale of a woman unraveling after the death of her wife. All I could think was, who unravels this neatly? There was no mention of fear, zero messes or catharsis. If a feeling did surface, it was an elegant dribble, pristine, Mm. accident. It's not it, whatever. Was this really the inside of a person's head? I've been more unraveled by a yeast infection. <laughs> I was a dead. I li- wait, that's weird you did that because I literally un- highlighted that exact quote. I screaming. I was dying. I was like, you have nailed it. Because so many people, when they're talking about grief, they're like, and then I cried one beautiful tear and it was just sorrowful and she's like no i'm fucking going crazy and it's messy and it's it is what it is i just like how messy she she's brave she doesn't care she is the most brave if yeah that is like and the most authentic i think that like brave and authentic like kind of go together she mm-hmm. is so fucking authentic honestly like i can't even believe i'm saying this but this is such a testament to her like She's up there with Glennon for me. Oh, yeah. Like she's, her and Glennon an are like, yeah. Like if I had to pick two of my favorite writers, it would be Glennon Doyle and Melissa Broder would be probably she, my top two. She's so smart, but she's so to the point. So she doesn't like overword anything. She doesn't make it like too fancy where you can't understand what she's saying. But it is also so deep and so thoughtful at the same time. That's exactly it. I, and I was thinking that too. Like, and it's it's so to the point that it's like fucking hilarious. And she says what she means to say, but like without actually having to say all of it. Like when yes. she comes down and she says like, oh, I'm just going to take a hike this morning. It's 2 p.m. Like it's just yeah. so fucking yeah. funny. She's just like, I'm fucking lying. So right after the quote you just read, I also underlined, she said, it was clear that the author had never herself unraveled. Also, she seemed to disapprove of humor in any form, which was another problem, because how could a person unravel so humorlessly and not die? If I saw no humor in my unraveling, I'd have been dead long ago. <laughs> right. I'm like, same. <laughs> I just love her. I love her. I cannot wait to talk to her. We're talking to her next week and we're free. Y'all get ready. She's just, she's mother. She is mother. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. 
With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. Okay, so she goes to this, by the way, I she said in the writing class too how much she loves a motel, and I'm like, that is just so... She's at a, I, I'm sorry, you couldn't pay me to stay at a Best Western. No. I like, I, I need to ask what she likes so much about them. But when she said Best Western, I was like, oh, girly. The geometric shapes that she's like, they're all over the walls. Like, it makes no sense why there's so many shapes. I'm like, yes. In the bathtub, girly. I don't take baths at nice hotels a lot of the time. The germs sitting in that tub are foul. Wait, Allegra, read the back and tell... The girlies, what this is about. Death Valley. The most profound book yet from the visionary author of Milkfed and the Pisces, a darkly funny novel about grief that becomes a desert survival story. So in Melissa Broder's astounding new novel, a woman arrives at a Best Western LOL, seeking respite from an emptiness that (laughs) plays. You go to a Best Western to seek respite from your emptiness. Dude, I was at a motel once when I was going through a dark period and I was brought right back (laughs) because it's like a familiar feeling. I was anyway, I was doing a show in Palo Alto by San Francisco, (laughs) hadn't seen my ex and he was living in San Francisco. He ended up fucking driving to the motel that the theater was putting us at. The whole experience was so it was so bad. It was such a bad idea. Like, do not rekindle with your dumbass ex at a motel in Palo Alto. Highly don't recommend. That is like, I, I just feel like at the motel makes it like such an iconic story. The people coming in and leaving, you'll yeah, never it, see anyone like yeah. it. Yeah. Scary. Scary. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. So she's fled to the California high desert to escape a cloud of sorrow for both her father in the ICU and a husband whose illness is worsening. What the motel provides, however, is not peace, but a path, thanks to a receptionist who recommends a nearby hike. Out on the sun-scorched trail, the narrator encounters a towering cactus whose size and shape mean it should not exist in California, yet the cactus is there with a gash through its side that beckons like a familiar door, so she enters it. But I like even the, the narrator instead of Melissa. Where does it say narrator? Because on my- oh, mine says the woman encounters a towering cactus. So this she sent Wait. us two pre before they were published, and mine even says Wait, like is yours a is yours a paperback? Yeah. Oh my god, yours is an advanced reader copy. I have the hardcover. I wonder if we've read different things. Well, mine says uh uncorrected not for sale or quotation i quoted it oops oh my god we totally have two different but you don't think they're that different do you no they're most i mean even Haley's. i was reading her advanced copy and she was like why are you doing that oh oh i was like i thought it was and she was like well i need some changes but it's nothing like yeah I didn't know. I I figured they would be mostly the same. I thought I saw a paperback in your hand. I was like, am I? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's the cool version. Don't ever get rid of that. Really? It's advanced copy. What I wrote all over it. That's iconic. Shit. Anyway, because I was like, why are you reading narrator? That's a cool word to replace with. (laughs) 
I love how you just didn't even, you were like, I'm just going to let her go. I'm just going to let her do her thing. Maybe that's why I was so sure it was a memoir and you were sure it wasn't because she changed some words to make it more clear that it wasn't her. Yes. Like the narrator and an astounding new novel. No, mine says novel. Okay. That's wild. I don't know why I just thought for sure it was a fucking like memoir. It was giving like wild by Cheryl Strayed. Yes. No, it's a hundred percent a memoir. I think that there's the like a little bit of, is it called like mystical realism? Yes. I think that there's that, which she has in like the Pisces, for instance, I won't give it away, but she meets a merman. And I think that's the cat. Yeah. You got to read it. Um, That's the cactus experience where I, I don't, but maybe it actually, maybe she actually did see the cactus and like hallucinate it. But I just don't, I think that she probably, what I predict, and we'll talk to her next week, is that she did come through the five stages of grief in the, in the like desert. But I don't think that she actually crawled into a cactus. Yes, of course. Because especially when the guy's like, there is no cactus, there's no way cactus could live there. Um so did she not really get lost in the freaking desert? I thought 100% she did. I think that she had to have. I think that that had to have happened. But then I don't know. And what's interesting, too, I think what this is definitely based on her experience is what the original book was supposed to be about. That's what mm-hmm. she went to write at the motel. So she says the whole premise of the book was, which I actually thought you would really like and you probably resonated with a lot about the woman who's with this man and then she re- she mm-hmm. meets the man in Venice they like travel to the desert together and she realizes like love is a love is an choice. action right yeah. it's a choice and i think that like that's ultimately like what the that's what the story was supposed to be about but i mm. think she got to the desert and was like wait i'm like not writing this book I know, but that's why I thought it was all real because she was saying this is the book I was supposed to write. And that happens. I really think she made it a hybrid of like she added in elements, but a lot of this happened to her. Yeah, it feels so real. I can't wait to ask her and I wonder if she'll answer like how much is real. Also, when she like, she's like, I get into the car, it's blazing. There's a cooked beef jerky and a hot red bull and i eat my breakfast i'm like you're such a fucking icon the way i used to eat that for breakfast growing up foul like i see myself in her deeply on page 11 i wrote down the quote she does this thing called doom checking she says maybe because i feel good i give myself a doom check and of course the like moment so I do this, i don't feel good anymore so i doom check all the time and i was gonna ask you allegra is doom checking like a combination of OCD and anxiety? Like what are our brains doing when we doom check? I think it depends on the person. Like for some people who experience OCD and anxiety and that becomes like your homeostasis, it can almost feel more dangerous and uncomfortable to not feel anxious. Mm -hmm. Or if you've had a history of trauma where like you, your norm was chaos. That's Mm -hmm. why people who have had really traumatic like histories and relationships feel like bored and healthy really <laughs> Aaron's like <laughs> <laughs> he's 
it's me. A lot of my friends have been talking about that lately, how yeah. men that like treat them well or like are complimentary are icky. And I'm like, oh no. No, baby. See, to me, that's like the hottest thing in the world. Like I said, I was giving this dude a date because he was really nice and said that he found me on the Instagram Explore page and values my work. And I was Wait, like, when? This is on Hinge, like literally two days ago. And so I'm like, he's nice. And I'm giving him a date because of that. I don't find that icky. I find that to be like, but I think that we're traumatized enough to be like, but wow. You're like alone in that. Like you are. I know. It's gross. Because so, yeah. no, no, it's good what you do. So well, no, many people I know like people that are mean, yeah. like mean. It's like, it gives me the ick if he's like too nice to me, like stopping nice. Like I like the chase. I know. I'm like, girly, I think that like you might be a little traumatized. Yes. It's, you know, I think you get to a level of trauma where like, that's not cute anymore. No, it's gross to me. You have to decide like, oh, something's changing. I can't like do. Okay. I'm showing you my underwear again because I need my water. I'm like trying to see if there's a breeze that's going to come in. I am dripping sweat. Like I am so freaking hot right now. I'm going to the nail salon just to escape at this point. Like, I'm like, I need to get out of this place. And my poor dogs who are living in a fur. It's horrific. Okay. Um, so on page 15, I want to ask her about this. She says, my mother hates a change in plan. She's descended from a long line of Jewish superstitionists. Bad omen experts. If you carry an umbrella, drought. If you don't, monsoon. I didn't realize all those superstitious things were like a Jewish thing. Do you do superstitious stuff? I did when I was younger, but it was OCD related, I think. Like for me, but then it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So for me, it was if I wear French braids to a soccer game, I'm going to play bad. But then I would be so anxious because my French braids were in that I would play bad. So it wasn't actually that the braids would do anything. It was that like I believed in the superstition and it made me so anxious. Were there any that were like passed down in your family? No, like that's got to be Jewish. That's so funny. There were so many growing up. I was like, no, you can't walk in this door and then walk out the other door. You have to walk in and walk out the same door or you can't open an umbrella inside. Like if anyone ever did that. Oh, my God. My mom was so funny about superstitious shit. She would took it so seriously. There was other ones, too. Oh, my God. I feel like you were responsible for something that you weren't responsible for. Not me, but I was very hyper aware of like, don't, I mean, I mean, even to this day, if I open an umbrella inside, I freak out. I'm like, no, you can't do that. Because I feel like Melissa started to feel like her mom blamed her. So her dad's in the ICU and she ordered sweatpants because she heard that like going to rehab, you know, having sweatpants is really important. And her mom basically says he's doing bad because you ordered the sweatpants. And my God, that was hard to read. It was so hard to read because that the mom, yeah, the mom has all these like unresolved things that she's projecting onto Melissa yeah, well, or the, or the fictional character or whatever. Yeah. Has Melissa written a memoir? I mean, so sad, so sad today. It's essays, but I don't think, no, she has not written. I think it's, there's a book of poetry that I think she said she wrote entirely on the subway. And then she has so sad today, the essay collection, milk bed and the Pisces, both of which you have to read, but like I milk need to bed is like unreal. Unfucking. It's so lesbian. I die. I love her so much. I yeah. laughed so hard at like her seeing these two characters in the best Western and being like, which one do I want to fuck? 
<laughs> and you know what laugh. I like about that is like how she voices her attraction and desire to things that like aren't conventionally attractive to people. Yes, I love that. I was like, like we have to okay, we need to find the descriptions for Jed and what's his name? Jed, right? We also, when she's describing how annoyed she is with her husband's breathing, like she's just so. Oh my God. Zip and Jethra. Zip. Zip. Oh my God. Wait, with his breathing, dude, I get mad at Keith for breathing all the time. This is what I hate. And I did this with my mom. When I live with someone and they're getting sick and they start going and sniffing. Keith was doing it the other day and I almost had a heart attack. I was like, you have to stop. Like. Like you have to stop. <laughs> what did he say? He's like, okay. He's like used to my antics. He's like, uh, what do you want me to do? I'm like, just don't do it. That's so funny. I'm so pissy. And then I think it started in COVID when I thought like when my mom did it, she was getting sick and that made me paranoid. She was getting sick. So I was like, stop sniffing. Like it makes me so anxious. That makes a lot of sense. That's really insightful. Yeah. But then I don't know why I still do it. I think sometimes too, it can just be like misophonia, I think is what it's called, where we just are very, some people get really annoyed, like by chewing. That's a big thing for some people where it's like, I can't sit at the table with my partners chewing. Mm. Like I've literally had clients who get angry when they hear chewing. I've heard of that. I don't really care about chewing. I mostly just care about other noises. And because we share one bedroom in Manhattan, like we see each other 24 seven and like we smell and we hear everything. And I'll just be like, just don't do that. Just like, don't make noise. Just stop making noises. You're so right. If you had a house, it would be different. I was just talking about that the other day. Like he's in the room right now because when I record, he has to go quarantine in the fucking room with Bear. And his desk is in the like. We, if we had a three bedroom house, dude, that would be a game changer. Does it make you want to leave New York? Sometimes, yeah. I have I to ask Melissa, New York or LA, because she's done both. I feel like she gives me New York vibes. She gives me New York, but she's gonna say LA is my is my thing. That's what I imagine. I want to hang out with her so bad. We should try. We should. The, the whole part of the book where her husband was ill was so hard to read, but I appreciated so much how honest she was. She was like, I'm, what did she say? Usually when someone's sick, you're too scared to say anything negative about how it impacts you because you'll seem selfish or whatever. But she straight up was like, this is, this is awful. Like, I hate yes. this. Yes. I loved how honest she was about that. She was honest about so much. She was honest about like when she talks about praying to be more attracted to her husband. Mm. It's like, wow. And she was like, I just want him. I just want it to be like it used to be. I just want it. Him to be healthy and how selfish she felt. Ugh. Wait, sorry. Pause. Allegra, did you shave this out of your head? Yeah. Why? I never saw that. That looks fucking awesome. No, why do you think that? Wait, did you shave it? Oh, why do you think that, Erin? Right here, it's like slit. There's a part wherever the part is under the part. It looks from this angle like you like it's shorter. <laughs> you didn't? I just saw it. I don't like what I see. I think it looks so cool. You look like a fucking like bisexual icon. 
No, I didn't. I just my hair is up and wait, you should do something like that. That's so edgy and cool. You think? I think I would die. It's just not oh my, my god, no, just like the underside, like right here. I just feel like it's not my expression. I think you I just would be... ruined the illusion for me. So I, I'm sorry. That really did look like it. That was kind of yeah. crazy. It looked like you like parted it and then shaved below it. That's kind of hot. It's just not my, I think I would feel it's not my, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like my gender expression. Well, we're going to have to talk about that. We're I, gonna... feel, I feel like I, it is your expression and like, I want you to express tell you. Yeah. How you express yourself. So page 117, we're just like throwing out our favorite quotes because there's just so many good juicy ass quotes. She says, is it okay to feel this much pain? And her husband says, why wouldn't it be Okay. And she says, I don't know. I'm scared. Like, it's dangerous to feel this much pain. Like, something bad is going to happen. And her husband says, something bad already happened. There's nothing wrong with feeling it. And I was like, oh, my God. 99% of the time, I am worried, like, what's happening is not okay. Like, that I that I shouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling. And that adds to the discomfort of the baseline feeling. Do you experience that? a million fucking percent and then she goes on the i think the addition to that was her saying there was some piece that she added on to that that it's like she's not allowed to be feeling it but then also she wouldn't be feeling it if she wasn't bad if she didn't do that like if she didn't make it happen basically and i fucking relate to that so much and i don't know why Oh, this feeling and this fear of the feeling, Mm. the fear that I've done something wrong, that I wouldn't have to feel this feeling if I'd done differently, that I shouldn't feel this feeling, that the feeling is unseemly or irrational or bad or dangerous or too much, that I am all these things. And that is like literally, it's like, not only are you feeling bad, it's like, I shouldn't be feeling this way, but then I also feel like somehow I'm bad and that's why I'm feeling this way. I am bad for having these thoughts. I am bad for having these feelings. These feelings make me inherently bad. And and these feelings are a result of my badness. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what she talks about with her husband. It, she said something along the lines of when I see him, it, like it, it makes me feel like I've done something wrong to have a sick, sick husband. husband. Like how fucking brutally honest is that? It's so it the the honesty is so refreshing. People don't feel like they can just say what they're thinking. I feel like we never read people that are saying exactly what they're thinking. They're scared that they're going to get reprimanded and she is just so she is a breath of fresh air to read. I love her honestly. Really it. I am at page 143. I can't believe she gets lost. It's nighttime and she's still there. You're gonna die. I'm scared for her. I don't see I'm not a person that could do something like that. Dude, I would have a freaking panic attack. She's crawling on her hands and knees. No cell service has injured Breaks himself. Her yeah. No, no water, no food, like a blueberry muffin. The grab and go bag. So it was like, how badly yeah. I want those right now. I want a blueberry muffin. So right. Bad. I'm like, can you check off my grab and go? Allegra, you don't need. We <laughs> you, don't don't need, need. <laughs> you don't need the muffin from the grab and go. Okay. 
Okay. No, we actually we fucking do need the muffins. And in our next photo shoot, we're gonna be surrounded by fucking surrounded muffins. by wait, we should do it at a Best Western. Are there any in New York? Oh my god, like a sexual shoot at a Best Western. <laughs> we're gonna have what sex. if we got her to come with us and we did a shoot with her at a best like that is my dream. That it would that would actually be life goals. We should budget for that. Like I'm serious. No, like I don't budget. need to pay rent. No, a hundred Melissa, we're flying to you. Yes. Oh, no worries. This is how hot it is. Do you see my sweat? I'm so hot. So we're going to interview her next week and ask her all the questions that are burning up in our soul. And then we'll also post on our Insta and we want to hear what you guys want to ask her. So if you have any questions for Melissa Gurley, it could be about Death Valley or not. But hopefully it's about Death Valley because that's the book we're reading. Ask us. Ask away, baby. Ask away. Bye, sad girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our sad girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at sad girls who read and TikTok at sad girls. Good books. We love you, sad girls.